I always want to remind you this, and sometimes we don't always think about it, but even though it's a bigger group, as I'm teaching, if you've got a question or a comment or input, uh, you can always stop me. Just raise your hand or say, it's because I want us to have as much interaction as possible. I know that when you get into your small groups, when you go to your grow groups, you can have a lot more interaction there, but anytime you've got a question or a comment or input, you can always do that. Well, Stillwater Bible Church, that's our church. And if you go outside, there's a sign. And sometimes people, you know, if I said to you, what's on our sign? Probably many of you would know, but some of you might not know. And you think, well, I see that sign all the time, and that's my church, and that's my church sign. What if somebody said, what's on our sign? If you remember, it says, proclaiming Christ and training believers. That's what it actually says. Now, you know what that is. That's, of course, is this is our purpose. It's the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to make disciples. That's evangelism and training. That's what it's all about, evangelism and training. And so what we do when it says proclaiming Christ, that's the evangelism part. Well, we go out from these doors. And, and you know, the saddest part, and we've talked about this a lot. In fact, let's, let's get right down to the hardest part. There's so many Christians who've never shared their faith. They've trusted Christ as Savior. They know they have eternal life, but they've never actually talked to someone else about eternal life. And they go their lives, and sometimes they're not looking for the opportunities. They're not praying for the opportunities. And then even when it happens, they think, oh, I'm not ready. I don't know what to say. When we do, we know what to say. We're trained and equipped. And if you're, if you're not trained and equipped, then you make sure you get the 412 with Brian. You take the 2-2 with me, those kind of things. And we'll make sure. And then there are many people in this this thing will help train you. So the idea of sharing our faith, so many people uh, never do that. But then the second part is making disciples. And for us to make disciples, that means for you to make disciples, you're going to have to what? Be a, be a what? A disciple. Exactly. And how many believers that there are that, that are Christians but are not disciples. And so this is what Paul is doing. He's writing to the church at Rome, and he gives them all kind of information. And then he says to them, okay, now beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So this, this is the thing. And think about it. Our goal in this study is to challenge us, to challenge me, challenge you, challenge all of us. And we'll talk about my life in a second, but I want to talk about all of us. We're challenged that we would count the cost. We know we have the gift of eternal life, which costs us what? Nothing. But what about living for Jesus Christ? It's going to cost us our lives. So as we go through this, I want to get a brief review. The first thing is the commission. We, call, we talked about this in the very first lesson. That we call it the Great Commission. That is to make disciples. That's our purpose of our church. Some people say, what's your mission statement? Well, our mission statement is a little bit different, but you could say our mission statement is uh, proclaiming Christ and deci- you know, uh, training believers. But our purpose is to make disciples, which is evangelism and training, which are those two things that go together. So that's it. Then we talked about, and this is why this is so vital, we talked about the distinction between being a believer and being a disciple. And being a believer costs us absolutely nothing. We've got a confusion in our world. So many people think being a believer is giving your life to Jesus, repenting of sins, walking down an aisle, making a public profession, getting baptized, doing all these things that people have been taught all their lives. But that's not being a believer. Being a believer costs you absolutely nothing, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ who gives you eternal life. So there's a distinction between being a believer and being a disciple. Now, being a disciple does cost us our lives. And so we die to self and we live to Christ. And we're going to talk more about that. We talked about 
it whenever you have, you have problems. When, there are two problems whenever you confuse those messages. Whenever you, do, whenever you do not make the distinction between being a believer and being a disciple. There are two messages. And if you don't make that distinction, you're going to have, first of all, confusion concerning the salvation message. Is it grace or is it works? Is it a gift or is it something we do? I mean, is salvation a gift or is it something that you do? And if you confuse it at all, if you say you need to walk down an aisle to give your life to Jesus, you've now put something for a person to what? To do. And so is it faith alone in Christ or is it doing something? Is it getting baptized? Is it turning away from sin? Is it making a public profession? Is it asking Jesus to come live in your life? Is it giving your life to Jesus? So whenever you confuse the two messages, then you've got a confused salvation message. And that's why there are people all over this town and all over this world that aren't even sure if they're believers. First of all, they're not even sure what the message is. Do you make Jesus Lord of your life or do you believe in him for eternal life? Which is it? They're confused because they've heard one thing one place and another thing another place. Uh, I, I, I can't remember who I was talking to. They said something about salvation message, and, and this person said, listen, I can call 200 pastors. I'm going to get two different, 200 different answers. And that's, what, that's why people are so confused. And then the second thing is when we don't make a distinction between salvation and discipleship, there is confusion concerning assurance. How do we know we're saved? If you've got to make Jesus Lord of your life, how do you know when you've made him Lord of your life? And what about when you don't serve him? What about when you have sin in your life? Then you could say, well, he's not Lord of my life. Does that mean now I'm not saved? Does that mean I would never was saved? And there's confusion, and there are people who can never, they never know if they're saved. And all of us in this room, I, I hope every one of you, not only that you put your faith in Christ and you know you have eternal life, but this idea that you are assured of your salvation. I, I want no one connecting with our church to be able to, to say, I hope I'm saved. Right? I'm not sure. You should know because the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, what does he give you? Eternal life. When does it start? That exact moment you believe and you're saved and you're saved forever. But if you mix them up and you say, well, in order to be saved, you've got to turn away from sin. I, I still sin. Anybody in here still sin? Okay, so are we saved? If we've got to turn away from sin, does it mean turn away from sin only for that exact moment? Or turn away from sin all the time? Or make a public profession? Well, how long do you make a public profession? Is it just walking down, or is this every day you have to make a public profession? I mean, when do, when do we know that we're saved? And so whenever you, have, whenever you bring those together, it always makes a great confusion. Confusion concerning salvation message, confusion concerning assurance. With that in mind, let's talk about the final thing. And this is the hardest one of all, because we can read it and talk about it, and everybody says, oh, I know Romans 12, 1 and 2. Most of us in this room can quote Romans 12, 1 and 2. But the real question is, what is does it really mean? And we want believers to understand there's a cost be, be, uh, to be a disciple. No, we're not talking about salvation. Salvation is a totally separate message, and when you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saved forever. We're talking about now living for Christ, and here's what Jesus said. He said, you must take up your cross, die to yourself, or you cannot be my disciple. You notice he didn't say, you cannot be my child. He didn't say, you cannot be a believer. He said, if you don't take up the cross and die to yourself, you cannot be my disciple. And discipleship cost. Discipleship is when you say to God, I give you my life. There is a cost of discipleship. And so the goal is not just, for us, it's not just eternal life, salvation. That happens the moment we believe and we say, I got that. 
But there's a goal. And that goal is that we as believers say, while we're on this earth, as long as he lets us live, we want our lives to count for Christ. And so we want to live for him. So the charge this morning, the charge and the challenge for us is that believers are to become disciples. Now, let me just say this. There are many of you in this room that I, that I know personally, that I have contact with, that I know that you have already in your life at some point said, God, I want my life to count for you. And you, your, your goal of living is that you would represent Jesus Christ and you would bring honor and glory to him. That you've, and you've made the cost. You've said, it's not my life now, it's your life through me, Lord. I want you to live through me. So let's talk about the cost. And we're at Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is a very famous passage. Notice, it's, who is he writing to, by the way? Tell me who he's writing to. The believers where? 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 Okay, you can say it. It's not hard. It's the book of Romans. So who's he writing to? Rome. Yeah, you know, if it was the if it was Thessalonica, if it was Thessalonians, who would he be writing to? You know, think about it. If it's uh, if it's Colossians, who's he writing to? Colossians. If it's Philippians, who's he writing to? The people in Philippi. If it's Romans, he's writing to the church at Rome. So I want you to understand something. The church at Rome, when we say church at Rome, that's a big old city. There were many what we call house churches. They were all considered the church, but there were all kind of house churches spread through that. So he's writing to them. And uh, he's writing to believers because notice it says, therefore I urge you brethren. And I have had many people come up to me and say this verse that says, offer your life to Christ, that's salvation verse. And then say, well, if it's a salvation verse, it's in the wrong place in the book. Because first of all, all part of the whole part about salvation and everything goes back in chapters 3 and 4. And in this passage, he calls them what? Brethren, believers. He's writing to believers. This is not a salvation passage. This is a discipleship passage. And so he says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. We'll stop right there. But if you notice, he starts off with therefore, and therefore is based on all that we've seen. It goes back all 11 chapters. In fact, this is the first time he actually gets to application in the book. Up to this point in time, he started off in chapter 1, 2, and part of 3 that we're all sinners and need a Savior. And chapters 3 and 4, he tells us how to be saved. In chapter 5, he tells us the results of salvation. In chapter 6, 7, and 8, he talks about the conflict and the battle in the Christian life and the assurance. In 9, 10, and 11, he talks about Israel, past, present, and future. Now he's got to chapter 12, and he says, Now, after all this stuff that I've taught you, here's what I want you to do. And so we could say the same thing. After all the stuff we've been taught in our lives, we could say, now, what are we supposed to do? He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren. Now notice, he says, I beg you. We must desire that each one of us become disciples. Now let me just say this. He's begging them. He didn't say, listen, I'd just like to bring something up. Uh, it's kind of an optional thing. You, you trusted in Jesus, you got eternal life, it, that's great. Now, optional is, if you want to, if you think about it, maybe think about living for Christ. That's not what he says at all. It's not optional. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, here's what I want you to do. I'm begging you, fellow believers, I'm begging you to offer your lives. So many believers see discipleship as an option. Because here's what happens, especially in a church like us, when we say salvation costs you what? Nothing. Discipleship costs you what? Your life. And so they say, I'm over here. 
I have eternal life. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. This is wonderful. And it is wonderful. But then we say, but what about over here? You go, oh, I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to say to the Lord, I want my life to count for you. I, I'm not ready yet. And so they look at it like it's optional, and you just sort of look at it and say, you know, sometime down the road when I get to a better place, I'll do that. Hey, Paul's saying, believers, I've taught you a whole bunch of stuff. You know who you are. I'm begging you, offer your lives. And so that's what he says. He says, therefore, I urge you, I beg you, believers, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God is all that he does for us. And, and so he says, here's what I want. I, the goal for all believers is to be disciples. Listen, the goal is that every one of us in this room say, my life is for Christ. When I wake up in the morning, I say to the Lord, Lord, take my life and use me today. You remember the, the passage we just saw for three or, three or four or five Sundays, the prayer of Jabez? What did Jabez say? Bless me indeed, which we said means take my life. Expand my border. Use me to do things greater than I could ever do. Let your hand be with me or be upon me. Use me, Lord, in your power. And then keep me from evil. Protect me. That was his prayer. His prayer was that God would take his life and do things with his life beyond what he could imagine. Is that the praying prayer for us? And do we wake up saying, Lord, take my life and use it for your glory even beyond what I could ask or imagine? Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Paul says, offer your bodies. This is the cost. Offer your lives. This is the cost. Now, salvation causes nothing. So people can't say, well, I hope, you know, you got to give up everything to come to Jesus. No, you don't give up anything to come to Jesus. Jesus does it all. He's giving you a gift. If you have to give up anything, that's not a gift. Now, if you're going to live for him, you got to give up not some things. You give up everything. You say to him, I want my life to count for you. That's what Jabez said. It's basically, this is die to self, give our lives now. What did Jabez say? Take my life, use me beyond what I could imagine, expand my borders. When was the last time, besides these last four or five weeks ago, that you ever thought about saying to God, take my life and do things with it beyond what I could ever imagine? I know there's some of you in this room right now that if you said, if, I, if you looked back 10 years back, you would say this, I can't believe all the things God has done through me or through you. You'd say that. You could say, he did this, and I never thought about doing this, and I did this. I never thought I'd teach a Bible study and that. I never thought this would happen. I never thought. You can look back at your life, and you see he does things all the time. Did you ever think you're going to write articles, and they're going to be in a magazine? Right? You didn't. And now they are, two or three. And they, you know? I mean, we look back, and we go, did you ever think this was going to happen? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. But did you say to God, take me, use me, everything that I have, every gift, talent, and ability that you gave me, my time, my money, my possessions, everything, I'm giving it to you, and I want you to use me for your glory. That's what Jabez said. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So look what he says, and let's get down to the, to the practical aspect. He says, therefore, I urge you, therefore, based on everything we've seen, I beg you, beg you, brethren, believers, because of God's great mercies, because of what he's done for us, I want you to present, offer your body a living and holy sacrifice. Think about that. Now, in the Old Testament, what kind of sacrifices do they have? Dead sacrifice. Yeah, animal and dead. They had to kill them. I mean, they, that animal's running around everywhere. They get and cut the throat, put it up on the altar, and it's dead. 
and it's a sacrifice, and it covered sin, it did all kinds of things. And, and there, were, there, were, there were sacrifices that you could come, and you could take an animal, and you could kill it, and you could put it up on the altar, and you set it on fire, and it burned it completely up. It was called a burnt offering. It was symbolic of a person saying, I'm offering my life to God. It was called a burnt offering. Well, we get to do it, but it's not a burnt offering. We get to say to God, it's what kind of sacrifice? Ours is a what? Living sacrifice. I, I heard a guy wrote one time, and I thought it was really funny. He said, the only problem with a living sacrifice, it keeps crawling off the altar. And, that, and that's true, because we just you know, say, I'd like to live for you, Lord, but i got some other things I'd like to do. No, get back up there. But the bottom line is, we offer our lives. When he says offer our bodies, he means our bodies. He means our lives. It's not just a, some kind of little spiritual thing. He's saying, take this life, this body, this person, at this time, in this place, and use me. Use your life for the glory of God. Now, I love this part because he gets really specific. Because he says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, therefore, because what we've seen, I beg you, believers, by God's mercy, give your lives, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, which is it's acceptable to God, That's it, and it's your spiritual service of words. We say, basically say, this is what you should do. This is what is expected. Remember, it's not optional. And then he says, how do we do it? How do we do it? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we do it? He says, not being conformed. But by the way, the original Greek, the way it's written in the Greek, actually says, stop being conformed to the world. You already are. He's not saying, now don't let the world conform you. He actually says, stop being conformed to the world. Now we know that the word conform means to be shaped in a mold, and that's what it's like. The, the, the world and its, vis- its views, its, its, its dreams, its culture, its values, they're pushing on us all the time. We don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. Every time you turn on your television, every commercial, everything you read, everything you see, every, uh, every magazine ad, people, what everybody's talking about, every time you turn on the news, you have a culture and a world that is pushing on you and trying to shape you. And it is shaping you. It's, it's not trying. It's shaping you. And so Paul says, stop letting this world put you in its mold. Stop thinking like the world. Stop letting the world shape you. So he says, stop being conformed to this world. And that's what the world does. And by the way, it's happening. It's, it's not something that, well, you know, maybe it will or maybe it won't. It is. And so he says, stop being conformed to this world, but here's the contrast. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed is by the renewing of your mind by the word of God. It's from the inside out. Now, by the way, I wanted to show you something. That conformed to the world, it's the world from the outside pushing in, shaping you, trying to make you like the world. But being transformed, that Greek word is metamorphosis. We get metamorphosis from it. It means a change from the inside out. And so he says, stop letting this thing try to shape you from the outside in, and you be changed from the inside out. How? By the renewing of your mind, which is the Word of God. So we got to take the Bible, and we got to let the Bible change us and transform from the inside out, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's why we always say you got to read the Bible, you got to study the Bible, you got to memorize the Bible. we got little kids. Last Wednesday night, a family came as they were leaving, and it was kind of late, and, they were, and I was still in the lobby, and these two little guys, and one of them said, I can, he's this big. I can say John 3, 16. I said, let me hear it. He just rattled it off. The other guy said, I can say Romans 1, 16. I said, let me hear it. I mean, our kids are memorizing the Bible. 
What did you memorize this week? Do you memorize anything? Think about it. Many of you did. You know, you put the word of God in your brain. And let me tell you, the way it's going to work is we, we stop getting this stuff shape us and we be transformed because who we are on the inside, we're a new creation in Christ. That's coming out as we have the word of God to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And we're no longer conformed to the world, but we're transformed by the word of God. And that's what it's going to be. That's, and Paul says over in Corinthians, he says, as we look into the scripture, we're tra- changed from glory to glory, from the glory of God to glory of us, meaning that we're like him. That's the goal. The goal is to be like Christ and to be changed from the inside out. This is something I always say, and you've heard me say it many times. If we're not consciously being transformed by the word of God, we will unconsciously be conformed to the world. You have to have time in which you're digging the Word of God. You have to have time in which you're memorizing it. You have to have time in which you're studying it and you understand the truths and principles from the Bible so that when this world starts telling you something, pushing you that this is a way, you say, no, that's not a way. That's not the right way. Here's the real way. This is the Bible way. This is what God says to do. This is how I want to live. This is how I want to think. We want to think differently than the world. The world automatically, the world automatically conforms us. We must on purpose be transformed. Let me just tell you that. You have to on purpose decide you're not going to let the world warp you. You're going to be transformed by the word of God. If you don't on purpose do it, you will be just like the world. I trusted Jesus Christ at age 19. I had never understood. I always thought you had to be good to go to heaven, do more good than bad. You'd probably be okay. And I did more good than bad, so I felt like I was okay. And I wandered into Bible study, heard the message of Jesus Christ, and that night I put my faith in Christ for salvation. I didn't understand it exactly like we do today, but now I understand that I knew that night that I had eternal life, and I had eternal life forever. So I trusted in Christ. But it wasn't until I was 26. So here's age 19. I trusted Christ. 26 before I get to a point in my life where I say, I want my life to count for Christ. I mean, I, tr- I trusted Christ, went through college, coasted high school for a short time, coasted Mississippi State. I'd been coasting Mississippi State for two or three years. And, and to be real honest with you, things were not going real good, not in my life. Uh, there was, and you know why? Because I was doing wrong things. I was doing things that were wrong. And I got to a point where I realized I was miserable. And I said, I know I have eternal life. I know I'm going to heaven. I know what I'm supposed to do. Because I had been taught that as a believer, you should live for Jesus Christ. But I didn't want to. I was afraid if I did, he'd make me a pastor or a missionary or something like that. And I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be a coach. And what's so great about it is I said to the Lord one day, I came in after spring training at night and and single person, I just said, Lord, I want my life to count for you. I'm, I'm tired of living this way. I want to give you my life. And I know, I'm so, I mean, it wasn't for salvation. I, I want to give you my life, and I want to do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. If it means not being a coach, I'll not be a coach. It don't make any difference, whatever you want me to do. Well, I got to be a coach like four, five, six more years before God changed my desires, and I resigned and went to seminary. And now if you said, do you want to be a coach? I say, no way. If you say, you want to be a pastor? I say, oh, yeah. yeah. Why? Because he changed me. It changed my desires. And that doesn't mean when you say to the Lord, I want my life to count for you, that all of a sudden he's going to take you out of what you're doing. He's just going to take your life and use you. For me, he had a just different plan for me. And it wasn't for until a while before. So here's the question for all of us. What do we want? What do you want? What do you want with your life? 
And, and there are many of you in here, you could say to me, well, J.B., we all, I already did it. I already said to the Lord, listen, I know I have eternal life, but I want my life to count for you, and from this moment on, I want to live for you. And listen, he takes you serious. I, I've got, let me get two minutes, so I want to tell you the story. Most of you know this story. So here I am in my bedroom at, at, you know, in an apartment, and I say to the Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I want to live for you. So I got up. Next morning, I, I, I go to work. Then it's practice. I'm out on the practice field. It's in the afternoon. I'm standing there like this. It's probably four in the afternoon. And I've been going to a church, but, you know, I'd go to the church like, and Nat was the pastor, and he would teach, and I'd write down the things, and I'd close it up. And then the next time I opened it up was the next Sunday morning. I mean, so, and there was the notes from last week. You know, so I didn't, I wasn't growing really or anything. And so uh, I decided, you know, I, I'm standing out to practice, and I thought, I thought about last night. I said, okay, Lord, I want my life to count for you. Well, this guy comes up who's one of our graduate assistants. He also goes to my same church, to the church I go to. And he came up to me and he said, oh, by the way, I, I got to tell you this. Nap wants you to give your testimony this coming Sunday. And I thought, oh, boy, God's sure serious about this thing. I just told him last night I wanted to live for him. And so now I'm supposed to speak in church on Sunday? That's what he'll do. He'll take your life <clears throat> and he will use you for his glory, all you have to do is say to him, take my life, use me for your glory. So there's a cost. <clears throat> there's a cost involved. You die to yourself, and you live for Christ. My challenge to every one of us in this room. Now, so I did that when I was 26, and now I'm like, you know, 36, 38, whatever it is. But anyway, think about that. Every day I still have to say, <clears throat> what, do you want, what do you want me to do? I want to live for you. I want my life to count for you. Now, in the original language here, this offer where it says offer your life, it's what they call heirs tense, which means it's a one-time deal. It's not like ongoing deal. So when you offer your life, you're saying to him, I give you my life now. And he, said, he didn't say, well, you have to keep offering it. No. Now, you may get up every day and say, Lord, my life is yours. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I'm ready to do it. But this is a, this is a, a one-time deal that you say to him, I want to live for you. So as we end it this morning, look, what is our purpose? What is our commission? We already know what it is to make disciples, evangelism, and training, leading people to Christ and training them, equipping them. What is the distinction between being a believer and being a disciple? Being a believer costs you absolutely nothing. Being a disciple costs us our lives. So what should we do with our lives? This is the final part, and this is it. We offer our lives to Christ, and there's a cost. Because you die to yourself. And the way Jesus said it, he made sure you understood it was a cross. Because in that day and time, the cross uh, was a cost. That cross in that day and time didn't mean a piece of jewelry. It was, this is you die. You're gonna, they're going to take you and they're going to kill you. So you're going to die. And Jesus says, take up your cross, die to yourself. Meaning, you say to this life, I'm dead. I'm living for you. From this point on, I want my life to count for you. If you have never made that decision, and I know every one of you in this room, you've trusted Christ. Probably most of you have made that decision. If you have, not the decision for salvation, but the decision for discipleship. If you haven't, I want you to think about it. Maybe today, sometime, get off by yourself and say, Lord, I'm to the point where I realize I have eternal life, but I've never said, take my life and use me for your glory. And if you've never done that, get with it. Now, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your life. But you may lose your life here, but you gain your life forever. And it's the greatest thing of all.